This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my friend, my friend, my guest, my friend, soon to be good friend, Steve-O, is joining me today. Steve-O, how are you, man? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, you know what, maybe I'm, I'm anxious, I'm irritable today. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, man. Like, uh, but um, yeah, like, so whatever, like, um, I have no excuse, but I'm irritable and discontent in general and call it uh, alcoholism. I don't know, but I just I feel compelled to be honest. And I really appreciate that. Maybe we can do something about that in this conversation. I don't know. Um, but I hear you, man. I taught a day workshop today with teenagers and that's very stressful and uh, came home and, and now I'm doing this, which I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. But thank you for the honesty. That's what this show is all about, man. So I'm going to read your bio real quick for our listeners, and then we're going to hop into this thing. Uh, Steve-O, a.k.a. Stephen Glover, was willing to do whatever it took to become famous, even if it meant uh, stapling his ball sack to his leg. After failing miserably at the University of Miami, Steve-O was a homeless couch surfer for three years before he attended Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Clown College to help future his goal of becoming a famous stuntman. Eventually, Steve-O's videos made it into the hands of Jeff Tremaine, Jackass's creator, director, producer, who was also working with Johnny Knoxville at the time, and the rest is history. Since then, Steve-O has become a New York Times bestselling author, established himself as a force in the world of comedy, uh, has tons of big social media platforms, um, is engaged to a wonderful woman named Lux, who they are planning to start an animal sanctuary together. Uh, Most importantly, Steve-O has been clean and sober since March (coughs) of 2008. And lives a surprisingly healthy lifestyle with his fiance Lux in Los Angeles. Thank you. There was so much more, but I wanted to get the bullet points out. Right. Yeah, that was uh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, funny. I watched your um, your podcast with uh, Neil Donald Walsh, who I'm <sighs> such such a huge fan of. Yeah. And uh, he he um, really recoiled at his uh, at his <laughs> bio. He he said, "Man, I've got to." That, you know, I've got to get somebody to change that. You know, that yeah. was awful. I and so I took it off your website. I cut it down as much as I, I sure, could. Sure, yeah. But you yeah, could have cut it down way more. I would have been happy with it. Well, all right. I I just wanted to get some some of maybe it was selfish. Some of the things I enjoy about you uh, out there. But yes, I you know speaking of Neil Donald Walsh, um, we've connected through a mutual friend Liz Don Donahue, and 
um, I've spoken at her conferences. That's part of what I do. And I remember seeing a picture. She had posted that you were at one of them. I was like, holy shit, you know, Steve Ozer, that's really cool. So, you know, it's funny to me that here are two guys that grew up on punk rock and skateboarding and complete debauchery. I couldn't have imagined myself when I was younger going to a spiritual conference, quote unquote spiritual, let alone speaking at one um, and writing books about that shit and recovery and what I'm doing today. But here I am. Um, So I'm interested. What led you to the Celebrate Your Life conference and Neil's work and anybody else in that field? It was just uh, Neil. You know, I um, I read Conversations with God, book one. Somebody gave it to me before I got sober, and then and I didn't touch it. And then uh, when I was a little over one year sober, maybe I actually started it sooner than that. I read it in early sobriety. Yeah. And uh, I just I don't think I was ready for it at that time because I still had so much uh, so much shame, so much guilt. I really like uh, had this just deep problem with who I was, and and uh, then. In 2017, uh, I read it, I reread it, yeah. and it just, it just like connected with, I was just like, whoa, you know, like, it, it profoundly changed the way I view life and the world, and, uh, and, and I really loved that, and then I read book two, and then I read book three, I read, read like, uh, read, read all three of them, I know there's four now, right? but, um, but I haven't read the fourth, Um you know, I just loved it. And when I got to the end of uh, two or three, it said like, oh, connect with me on my website. Yeah. So I went on to Neil's website. And when uh, when I went on to Neil's website, it was like, oh, you know, like I'll be at this. And I was like, dude, he's going to be there. Like, let's go. Let's go meet him. So we booked trips. Or we booked flights, to my buddy and I, to uh, to Chicago and to the Celebrate Your Life. Um and and then it turned out that 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 same weekend in Chicago, uh, there was a, a big UFC event, an Ultimate Fighting, and I'm a huge fan yeah. of uh, of the UFC, mixed martial arts, and so it was just this weird thing that those were that we were there. I reached out to the UFC president Dana White and asked him, and I said, oh, "I'll be there." He gave us front row tickets. I was so excited. And that was the same day that we went to to listen to Neil talk. Yeah. So we go and and Neil has questions, and I raised my hand. Uh, you know, I, I asked him. Um, I, 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 I think I had like I had so many questions, like even written down. I couldn't ask them all, but uh, uh, but I definitely said to him that uh you know it's kind of weird like in um in conversations with god it describes that highly evolved beings would never structure an activity such that one uh individual benefits from uh you know the demise or, or whatever like at the at the expense of another yeah. you know they just wouldn't highly evolved beings wouldn't do it you know they wouldn't uh set it up so one like comes out on top at the expense of the other and i said so that just seems to me to rule out sports in general mm. and like like dude like should i feel bad about sports and then let me take it another step further that tonight we're gonna be at the ufc watching people like really you know and i'm, I'm conflicted about that uh 
Neil said that uh, sports are okay. <laughs> so it's okay to love sports. Good, good. And, and he, he also indicated that while he personally wouldn't um, be have any interest in uh, UFC, was, he wasn't sure about the UFC, but it was not lost on him that, that going from Celebrate Your Life to the UFC direct yeah. was uh, an odd choice. And like the, the whole conference itself was, was really uh, – it was, it was like – overwhelmingly female and like you know it was like (laughs) a certain type of lady (laughs) and uh we we definitely my buddy and i stuck out like sore thumbs but um but it was just so cool to meet meet neil and uh get our picture taken with him yeah and and this is this will come off as a weird thing, I and mean, it's probably alienating people who don't even know Neil or, or his work. And I know that his books are very polarizing, sure, because you have to like sort of it's a little bit of a pill to swallow. You have to like, you know, it's a guy having a conversation with God, and he's writing both, you know, sort of both sides of the dialogue. Right. You know, and it's a lot to wrap your head around. But what helps wrapping your head around it is that book one of Conversations with God was on the New York Times bestseller list for a record, like, I don't know, what, 130-something weeks, like yeah. almost almost three years. Yeah. And I think it holds a record for that. So while it's tough to wrap your head around, like, it does lend credibility, and I just think it's fascinating. And, and, and just I'll get off the Neil Donald Walsh, <laughs> but... um. But I felt that he, like what I described in the beginning of the call, like, you know, I, I feel irritable, I feel anxious, like, and then already that's, that's come down a bit. But I felt like he, like Neil was having one of those days, like uh, he was in the, he, he was felt, seemed a little irritable and, yeah. you know, and, and to, to see him, he felt like, I think I was like overwhelming, like, oh man, I'm so excited. And he's like, okay, okay, all right, you know, like, enough, like. He wasn't like really thrilled with the, with my fanfare, and I, I think I, I think he found me kind of annoying, and uh, and and it, it really humanized him for me. You know, mm. I, like I was like, oh, okay, so he is like a regular guy. Like he's just a regular guy. He gets annoyed. He gets like a you know, and and to me that lent credibility mm. to his books. Because it just didn't seem like this guy <laughs> was right. was the voice of God, and the, you know, there he it is. Separated, it separated him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he 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 just didn't seem to enjoy meeting me at all, <laughs> and uh, and and I, and I was like, yeah, man, you know. But then again, like the, the you know, he's just a guy, and his books are fucking awesome. So I certainly. Right, so, so, so yeah, let's let's move on from there. And, and apologies to the listeners who just uh, aren't. That's not their jam. Well, if they're <laughs> listening to the podcast, we cover like all bases. So if it's not their jam, then they can deal with that. But I, um, yeah, I had dinner with Neil the first Celebrate Your Life I presented at, and I just remember he looked so confused. You know, because. You were at the conference. I don't look like someone that's going to be presenting in front of 2,000 people at that conference. And I'm, there I am. They have the presenter's dinner, I think, the second night. And I'm at a table with Neil and Bruce Lipton and a couple other people. And really, like, they're looking at me like, what the fuck is going on? Like, but they were really right. kind, and I appreciated that. Um, but, yeah, it was it was weird for me, man. Like, and weird to see them eating meat. Yeah. Oh yes. A lot of a lot <laughs> like what of. What the fuck? Are, what the fuck are they doing eating meat? Yes. 
Um, like uh, that's it. another thing that it was like, you know, but then again, Neil will say in his books, like, you know, hey, like, I don't necessarily <laughs> do everything that, uh, you know, it says in the book. Yes, <laughs> no, absolutely. And seeing that um, humanity is helpful, like you said, because they're, they're humans, uh, too. They're fallible. You know, they're teachers and they've walked a path, but they still fuck up because they're humans. It's just what it is. So right. um, have you had a chance? And we, we won't move on. But I, I've met people where I really was excited to meet them. And I've had that ugh moment. Have you had seen him again or anything, or was that it for you? That's just the only time I met him. Okay. Well, hopefully it gets better, or you meet him again. I don't know. Right. Let's talk about. So I don't want to talk about shit you always talk about. Let's talk about. Right. <laughs> let's talk about punk rock. All right. Okay. Do you, for do you get sure. to talk about punk often. Yeah. You know what? I don't want you to feel like nervous. You know, but like by all means, throw me whatever you got. It's all, right. all good. No, I, these are things I love. So we share punk so rock. many passions. Punk rock is great. So, and uh, I, I, like, just as it relates to music in general, like, always found myself feeling very uncomfortable, like, in my skin, like, uh, with who I was. And I, I sought to, like, just identify with something. Like, at first it was Little League Sports. Sure. You know? And uh, it's like, you know, I wasn't enough, but somehow when I put on my game uniform... My first team was the 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 Orioles, and it was this orange like I think I was in like second or third grade, and uh, you know I was just this little kid, and like you know when I put on that baseball uniform, like now I was a baseball player, you know, like yeah. it just like, I felt like uh, it made me, you know, it was just like the, it was like a, a uniform, like really uh, it helped, and. Um, and uh, like there's this, I have this Canadian citizenship card. I took a photo for when I was eight or nine, and uh, no, I would have been eight. And uh, you know, I'm wearing like I I went to go get my photo taken for this Canadian citizenship card, like a passport photo, and I felt compelled to be wearing my football uniform, full pads, right. full full shoulder pads, like the whole deal, and. You know, like I'm a football player. Like I would, I would wear my baseball uniform like to the movie theater. Like if I was going to go see like a movie with a friend, so I would show up because like it made me feel like uh, like I wasn't enough without it. And right. then and then and then the skate the the uh, you know little league baseball. Then then my uniform became like heavy metal. You know, I would try to grow my mullet. And, you know, as long as my parents would let me have it. Sure. Like I would, uh, I, I would, um, you know, with the, the jean jacket, with the, the, the patches and the heavy metal bands and like the, you know, that was my identity. And, um, you know, kids in fifth grade would tell me to call me like a Satan worshiper, you know, and that would like really hurt my feelings, you know. Um, and then uh, it became skateboarding, which is his identity. And then after the skateboarding, it became the... Uh, being a pothead you know like but i always i always just went and went overboard like identifying with some kind of thing and when i was in when i was like in my whole skateboarding there was a while a very brief moment when i was 15 years old that i had x's on my hands like straight straight edge edge. oh yeah there's some pictures of me skating with x's on my hands like uh you know like doing a handrail like you know like uh even kick flipping down some stairs but um so yeah like i went from heavy metal to skateboarding and in that move 
like the whole identity of like heavy metal and then skateboarding but that but then i kind of ditched the heavy metal music for hardcore punk yeah you know? it was kind of weird to to balance those two back in the day today it's natural but yeah i remember right like uh i just somehow you know like it just did you know I went went to like Misfits, like I really loved Misfits, yeah. and, and uh, you know Seven Seconds, and well, like well, well Youth Brigade, what was uh, Suicidal Tendencies, you know a lot a lot of that was like that whole kind. Of, I mean I guess that's a pretty wide range of of uh, hardcore music, but then uh, I got got really into like Gorilla Biscuits, all that straight okay. edge stuff. Yep. That's rad. I'm friends with Gavin. Um, he's a good friend of mine from Grill Biscuits and Burn and all those New York hardcore bands. And I know we have John Joseph in common and uh, a lot of good For people. Sure. Yeah, which is super cool. Um, you said Gavin. Is he the guy who uh, is involved with the Crossroads Kitchen in, uh, in L.A., the vegan restaurant? No, he's in New York. Um, but okay. if you remember Gorilla Biscuits, Burn... Like all of these bands, Shelter, they all had like revolving members constantly. You know, it's like right. they were all just trading bands. So I'm not sure who that member is that's in LA, but yeah, Gavin's still in New York, but great guy. <laughs> okay. Good dude. Sib's out in New York doing tattoos. He is. Speaking of tattoos, you're doing tattoos, right? How's that going? Uh, I haven't done one in a while. We've got this whole shutdown thing going on. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm excited about it, man. Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it just like as soon as I did a tattoo, I was like, "Fuck yeah, man!" Like that's good. I did a good job. Like then all of a sudden, I, I wanted to do it more and more. I love that. I lo- are you? Yeah. A, are, you're not apprenticing though, right? Are you just like going for I it? Am. Oh, you are. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't like to tattoo without my guy. It's a pretty informal apprenticeship. Sure. But. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't like to do a tattoo without my guy there, like just making sure everything is kind of by the books as far as uh, safety goes, and and he can give me tips on how to do it because I've tried uh, I've tried a couple without him there, and and it wasn't a good experience. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> and, uh, and when I when he is there, it's generally a, re- a really pretty good experience. But cool. So I didn't mean to skip off of punk so quick because I think... Oh, yeah, it's all good, man. I don't mind. I just don't know, like, uh, how much, um, you know, as, as as deep as you want to go. I'd... Yeah, what I was going to ask, because I, I like the uniform, um, you know, kind of concept you were talking about. And, yeah. you know, we all have these, like, uniforms we wear in one regard or another. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is being accepted by others and fitting in. And um, for me, you know, when I found punk, it... I had the seed planted when I was like eight. I watched the public domain video from Paul Peralta. And I remember weakness from McRad was on there and I didn't know what punk was. I was a kid and I heard that and I was just like, holy shit. So I didn't listen to it for a while, but as I got deeper into skateboarding, you know, then I, I started going to shows and Snapcase and all these other bands and the bands you mentioned, um, I fell in love with them. It was super cool. And then Chuck Treese was in McRad. Um, I don't know if you've crossed paths with him. Great skateboarder really good dude well yeah so anyways um i don't know where i was going to chuck but what i remember about the punk thing was it was the first time for me i found some semblance of like feeling like not such a outcast not such a weirdo um was that an, anything that you experienced or were you just in it like call to the music uh i mean i still feel like a weirdo so i don't know like but yeah i um 
I felt like a weirdo no matter what. Like by the Yeah. I, I don't know that anything ever made me not feel like a weirdo. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd expect a different answer. That's certainly fair enough. Um, yeah. So from from punk, which gave you like, you know, this or you felt like the connected or whatever, um, and you had skateboarding in your life. And then you started you were doing stunts, continue doing stunts. And I don't want to go way deep into that. But um, how are you feeling today? Like doing those? I know Jack S4 is um, kind of in production and I'm guessing you can't talk about that, but um, I know that's how you live your life. You never have slowed down. I don't think, you know, you're doing tours. You're. Yeah. Know. I, uh, I, my concern is, uh, just how much longer I can get away with it. You know, like, um, my body feels reasonably good. I mean, there's certain stuff, uh, skating's not skateboarding isn't like as uh, attractive to me anymore it's like you know definitely uh harder to push myself at skating yeah um like i i would be hard pressed to really uh get a full rotation on a standing backflip uh on on flat ground right um so i i find myself like my physical abilities are there are already uh, limitations based on my age, but I think that as far as like kind of jackass stunts go, like a lot of uh, skill and and you know talent or you know coordinate like like uh, physical like uh, prowess like isn't necessarily required to kind of throw throw your body into. Uh, peril right so so um i honestly think that uh that physical limitations like um are, are are minor and and don't really pertain to the continuation of uh you know f physicality but there is definitely you know even more than anything i feel like there's a concern that at a certain point it just gets creepy to watch a middle-aged guy do that <laughs> you know? i mean i don't know there's been different people feel different ways my buddy johnny knoxville thinks it just gets funnier uh, like yeah. uh, the older we get there's certainly you know i think there's there's people are interested in seeing it and like i love doing it man you know yeah. and, and no matter how much spiritual growth no matter how much sobriety, no matter how much uh, I really work on you know, being a good guy, yeah. I'm I'm just always going to be an attention whore, and, and I can't you know I can't change that. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I too am in recovery and and do the spiritual thing, and uh, I have to honor like my awkwardness. I'm like I said earlier, I'm a weirdo. I love metal. I love hip hop. I write for Fangoria. You know, like the premier horror what? magazine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just, it's who I am, but it doesn't make me feel like I'm not doing well in my healing journey. Um, so that makes me, you know, think today I mentioned, I did a, a workshop earlier with teenagers. I do one every week. They're residential 13 to 18. They're not just there for addiction. They're there for self-harm, suicide attempts, things of that nature. Um, and I try to tell them, you know, like, if once you get sober, once you embark on the healing journey, life can be rad. It can still be a lot of fun. It doesn't have to be like this mundane, terrible thing that a lot of younger people kind of think it's going to be. So 
you know, you're, you're saying like, you still have this part of you, you know, you still have fun. You, you still are living your life. If you were in a room with a bunch of teenagers, like that were in that situation, what would you say to them? Um, like, are you asking like, how would I carry the message? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And not just like, again, drugs or alcohol, but those that, you know, some are there just strictly for suicide attempts or self-harm, depression, um, just being a younger person uh, that is having trouble seeing, you know, their future ahead of them without that in their life. Uh, I mean, I think that that uh it's tough for me to address issues that um, that I don't relate to, mm. and not just not to say that I don't relate to uh, depression or you know, but there just are certain like kind of mental illness things that uh, I just don't feel like uh, qualified or you know that it's appropriate for me to weigh in on. Sure. I think that it's in a very general sense that it's worth pointing out that there is no school of thought, there is no religion, there is no uh, wisdom that suggests life is not to be enjoyed. Hmm. You know, I think that that's a good starting point for uh, for just everybody. Okay, let me just stop and think. You know that clearly. If for no other reason, I am here to enjoy this life. Mm. Now that is, uh, I think that that that's that's something that that's 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 easy to let sort of slip the forefront of our consciousness. You know, mm. like it's easy it's easy to to just get so wound up and so like, you know, in whatever it is that that like. I think if you can ever just stop and, and, and deliberately remember that we're supposed to enjoy this life, you yeah. know, then, then that might help a little bit. I think that I, I certainly, yeah, I have more experience in, in uh, addressing, uh, you know, chemical dependency. Yeah. And for people who think that, that, uh, that sobriety is going to be really boring. Like, oh man, that's really, you know, like it's going to be tough. I, I think that like when, when I committed myself to recovery, I thought, man, this is going to suck. You know, like yeah. I, but I, I, I got to do it. Yeah. I, I didn't expect it to be uh, fun, you know, like letting go of uh, all my coping me- mechanisms, like drugs and alcohol were my tools, you know, yeah. like without them, like, I mean, I needed them. It'll let go of something I need, you know. It's not a question of whether it's gonna be like boring or anything, but like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bare without like, you know. Yeah. And uh, the way I have an analogy that I like to share with people who uh, sort of have this fear of of getting getting sober, and uh, I compare it to and, and recovery in general, the, sure. the work recovery. I compare. Uh, I compare recovery to a swimming pool where most people can relate to walking up to a swimming pool and they might dunk their toe in the water. And sure enough, their toe indicates to them that that water is cold, totally uncomfortable. I do not want to get in. 
And like one would be fooling themselves to think that they're going to walk around to the shallow end and walk down the little stairs, gradually getting in. That would just be torturing yourself. No one's ever going to go all the way in that way. You know, or if they do, it's just going to be. But in fact, like as as little as you want to get in there, it's going to shock your system. It's going to be cold. The way to do it, we all know, is to jump all the way into that pool. And when you land, and when you land in the water, it feels cold. There's no way around it. Right, you know, right. your first your first thought is it shocks your system. It feels cold. But if you just jump in, and if you just stay in, like we can all relate to that that thought that like that uh, like that thought of like almost bewilderment to be like, man, it's amazing that just a moment ago it felt so cold, but because I just stayed put, maybe paddled around a little bit, like in such a short time, I became acclimated to it. And now like I'm perfectly comfortable in this water, which just felt so cold just before. Right. Um, and like, that's my experience with recovery that uh, I jumped in. Yeah, it shocked my system to not have my tools, you yeah. know, like, but, but, you know, God, it was easy to jump in that pool because I was essentially on fucking fire. I was engulfed in flames, you know, like, like, um, and, and looking back on it, what, what kept me in the pool was that, like, the, when the fog cleared enough for me to really see with some clarity what I had turned into before, mm. like, it was pretty pretty tough to to really wrap my head around what a douche I was like oh my god I didn't want to want you know yeah and I don't want to be that anymore I did some really embarrassing things like uh you know I broadcast my downward spiral like in real time on like MySpace into a mass email list of like 200 of the most influential people whose contact information I had, like the most important people that I could contact. I did so on a regular basis with the most humiliating shit. Mm. And uh, that was really mortifying. And that kind of uh, humiliation like humiliated me into humility, you know, like, um, but uh, so so in any case, the thing about like it's easy to jump into a pool if you're on fire. But what's what the problem is, and I think this would be helpful for you know whatever group of kids you're you know hypothetically talking about sure. me, me sharing with. That um, the sad truth is you can't go around shoving people into pools and oh, expecting yeah. them to you know and expecting them to thank you for it. Right, let alone stay in. You know, you try and shove somebody into to recovery, like it's just not going to work. You know, they're going to be pissed, and you're actually going to end up pushing them away from recovery. So, it's not something that you can really like pitch to people or like you know, you can't make another person want to get well, and that's the the pisser of it. It really is. Yeah. And that's the other thing too is that like it's uh you know it's not water. The pool is it, it's like it's uh you know, a community of people. And that's what you got to, you got to jump into a community of people. And by doing that, uh, a, like, you know, you're not solving the problem, trying to solve the problem alone because you can't. Right. And when you are in, you know, immersed in this community of other people doing the same thing, it's like, uh, you feel less hard done by it because you're just doing what everybody around you is. You yeah. Know? Oh, beautifully said. And I want to say thank you for owning like I can't really speak to that demographic or that you know topic I a lot of times see people bullshit and answer you know and and I'll I do the same when I'm asked in a group or a workshop a question that I don't know the answer to 
I don't want to, because it's a very serious thing, obviously, that topic. I don't want to speak on yeah, it if sure. I don't know. So I thank you for yeah. that. I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you for also sharing about the recovery stuff, too. Um, yeah. And, and, and then, like, if, if you, you know, not, not, I don't ever try to really, you know, I, I don't ever try to tell people what to do. That's, like, the one course. thing. Like, uh, I'll share with them what I've done and, and sort of how I feel about it. But without telling anybody else what to do, because I know that you just can't, you know, push people into the pool. You can't, you know, make them want to get better if they don't want to get better on their own. Yes. They're going to do what they're going to do. And I got to let go and, and not be invested in the results. Right. But um, but as it relates to my experience, like now for over 12 years, um. I haven't had the, I haven't wasted time getting loaded. I haven't wasted, you know, like being loaded, like all of the like bad decisions, all of the like lack of focus, like, you know, and then with the, with the other programs that I got into to address other, you know, problematic behaviors, uh, you know, really like I've just become increasingly focused and less distracted, you know, and for the, for the most part, like I'm really grateful to say that, I don't waste any time making bad decisions or doing things that uh, that I gotta like be dishonest about. Mm -hmm. You know, like I spend basically all of my time like deliberately doing like what I not only choose to be doing, but like what I feel good about doing. Yeah. You know, I don't. I tell like I don't lie. Like as a rule, you know, like just like practice honesty. You yeah, know, like, like the beginning of our I, conversation. Yeah. I have integrity in, in my relationship, you know, like, uh, I don't have secrets and like, I don't have distractions. Like, you know, with, uh, with, like, with the, all the running around with, you know, like with, with women and sexual acting, I'm so glad that, mm -hmm. uh, that that's not my story today, yeah. you know, and that I have a relationship with a woman who I'm engaged to, who like, I just like genuinely, like I'm you know, I view my relationship as an opportunity to express myself as the man who I aspire to be. And like, that's something that very selfishly, like I get to enjoy, like, you know, the feeling for the most part. I mean, of course, I screw up all the time and like, I'm very self-centered. That's still an issue, you know, but for the most part, like, uh, there, you know, I'm in this relationship for over three years. We've never said anything nasty you know like because when you say something really nasty and you can't take it back it's always going to be there yeah and we don't have any of that you know That's... like we've never, we've never threatened the relationship where it's like oh i'm gonna break up i'm gonna leave you know never once never even entered my mind like uh and it was a lot of work man it was, it was a lot of work for me to uh preemptively kind of prepare to have a healthy relationship and you know that and and now and I, I say that because it's such a big deal i don't have the distractions i don't have like i just i'm focused on what i want to be doing yeah. and not only am i not distracted i've got a partner who helps me accomplish what i want to be accomplishing and uh so the benefits of uh of recovery are just for me they're so it's just so yeah, I feel it. It's honestly like I feel it's almost like cheating. <laughs> it's like it's like cheating because like it turns out that life, in my experience, it's it's not like uh, necessarily that fucking difficult or complicated. You know, like if you can stop like getting in your own way, 
and uh, just making bad, you know, making bad decisions, getting in your own way, screwing shit up. Like uh, it's, and so I don't know. I just I'm really really psyched on it, and I wish everybody would be really psyched on it. And I wish that I could, I wish I could tell people who are struggling, like, oh, it'll be great, you know, like you'll be psyched, your life will get, you know. Yeah. But we know better than to try to, uh, you know, impose our will on others because it doesn't work. Yeah, and and I've been on both sides of that. People trying to push me, and and you know, early on, me trying to push sure. other people. So I know all too well it's very counterproductive on both ends, and then the guilt and the shame that comes up, and it's yeah, it right. sucks. So I am curious because I know you're coming up on twelve years, right? Yeah, um, March tenth, I turned twelve. Congrats, man! That's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's amazing to me to see people like yourself and and Randy from Lamb of God and AC from Misfits, you know, all these dudes that are in recovery. And and I'm not, you know, they sure. they say it publicly, so <laughs> of it's course. Not, um, of course. But you know, so they're people that like live these lives that can do it, you know, and um, and all of them, I think, have since they got sober, have not relapsed, which blows my mind. It's so inspiring because I'll be honest, I was one of those people. I relapsed a number of times. And even after like literally being intubated because I wasn't breathing anymore, you know, like I watch your stuff and I'm like, I relate wholeheartedly. And look, how much, how much time did you have when like they, when you lost it? Uh, around, well, it was like, uh, 14 months the first time, two years, the second, three years, over five years. Oh yeah. I was the guy that it was brutal, brutal. I'm sorry for interrupting you no, when I no. jumped in there. I appreciate you um, asking. It's that's that's really fucking heavy duty, man. Like I, I have another analogy as it relates to uh, you know putting some time together and losing that time. That uh, I don't have the experience with it. You know, so my, my like so once I started working a program, like yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've just been, I've been fortunate to, you know, stay plugged in, I guess. But, um, I've seen people, they put some time together and then they relapse Yeah. and they never, it's so much harder to come back when you, when you've had time and lost it. Yeah. Like I, I compare it to a UFC fighter who gets like, uh, who gets brutally knocked out. Like their their career is never the same. Like once they've been brutally knocked out, they develop it's called a glass jaw, yeah. where they're they're prone to being knocked out now. You know, like you get knocked out and then you're prone to more knockouts. Right. You know, and then like you gotta like at a certain point, like you you, know, you see these fighters they get knocked out so many times, then like they gotta they can't fight anymore. But this like fight. It's something that we really need to stay in. So it's really, you want to really avoid getting knocked out, you know? Yeah, that, and like they say, cunning, baffling, you know, insidious. It's, it, right. it, and it really is. Because um, I, I did take it seriously, and aside from a program, you know, meditating, practicing mindfulness, doing everything I could do, therapy. And apparently I wasn't, though, you know, because I ended up going back, right? What, uh, what kind of meditation do you do? I do various kinds. Um, Vipassana is traditionally the kind I do, just, you know, sitting, anchoring into the breath. And, and I I like just being with my body and my feelings and my emotions. Um, there's benefits to, I think, all of them, but it's, you know, unique to each person. Um, so that's what I like, just sitting quietly. But I will do walking meditations. To me, um, I wrote about in my first book, I had a 
it was a meditative experiencing Slayer one time. I was covering nice. them for uh, for my website, and I was up there with photo passes. It was the last tour Hanneman and Lombardo did, and you know, I just I'm a big Ram Dass fan. This podcast is on Ram Dass's network, and his core teaching, his mantra was, "I am loving awareness." Okay, that sounds a little corny. I get it, but he taught like if you're doing that mantra, you begin doing it, and then the mantra does you. So you're doing it at first and then it just becomes like second nature, like you're riding a bike. And so I do that often and I'm doing it at the Slayer concert and I take a second, I look around, they have the upside down crosses made out of their amps, flames, it's Slayer. And I just look around and it's like Chris had left the building and I just, it, you know, not to sound too woo, but literally a complete interconnected experience of like all beings just there in this sense of loving awareness. And for me, like, having that at a Slayer concert was big, you know, like of all places. So not to digress, like, but to me, I had that because I have a dedicated meditation practice that I try not to allow to stay on the cushion when I get off of it. That's the formal part, but then bringing it with me throughout the day, mindfulness, things of that nature. So that's, that's how I do it. But loving kindness practices, all different kinds. Do you, are you into meditation? That's something I was going to ask you about. Yeah, I'm I'm hard hardcore in, into it. Um, I uh, got a teacher for transcendental meditation I've in 20, 2013. and um, I wasn't like terribly. I was on and off. You know, I was never like really totally disciplined, and I would fall off. I would get back on, and like it's crazy because like I really noticed that the benefits were there. I mean, I could yeah. really like. I mean, it's it's hard to describe. It's like you know, it's somehow subtle, but it was, to me, undeniable that I benefited from my meditation practice. And just like confusing why, when I benefit from it, I I would fall off. Right. And then and then I became like really a little bit frustrated with myself. Like like why you know I can get back into it. And ultimately, I got a new teacher and just refreshed. You know like. It turns out that Vedic meditation yeah. is the same thing as transcendental meditation. Yeah. Yet they they're sort of warring with one another. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. but uh, it's exactly the same thing. And I got a new a new teacher and a new mantra. Uh, I started um, on December twenty seventh of last year, and I keep it all in an app. So I have. Uh, oh, nice. 124 days straight averaging that. averaging 41 minutes i've all i haven't done my second meditation today but uh you know my average i do 20 minutes twice a day every day it's and the TM, uh yeah, yeah tm like t technically my my teacher who uh gave me this mantra it's vedic okay yep. but yeah it's either way it's just mantra based meditation and mm -hmm. um yeah, I believe it's I believe it's huge. I really believe it's huge. And I want to say too that uh, I'm the, the I, I feel so much more comfortable and you know like it was just evident like I was just crabby when I got on the phone call or when I got when I started talking to you and that that's totally gone away and so uh, to you know apologies for being crabby when I oh, when we started and, and thank you for. Uh, for being, uh, you know, you mean like I said, make it fun, and and you know you've made you've made it fun. Um, I but I'm not trying. I'm not trying to get off either. You no, know, if no. You, if you want to keep going? Um, well, yeah, back back to you. Thank you. Yeah, if you have a few more minutes. Um, 
Yeah, of course. You know, I know yeah. you're very busy. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, but let's make it an hour. I got, okay. I got my guy. Uh... Well, thank you. And in, in the spirit of, you know, honesty, and I do want to go back to that, like, I got, I don't get nervous when I do podcasts. I've been doing this forever. I mean, my first interview, I was in, I think, eighth, ninth grade, I interviewed Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine, some kid, like, you know, and ever since then, it's just, I love talking to people. But yeah, when we started, like, I'm like, oh shit, you know, I, I've really appreciated you pre-sobriety, post-sobriety. I was watching the CKY and Jackass stuff. When, <laughs> you know, I was doing that stuff. We were, my friends were doing the shopping carts before Jackass came out. And then we're like, we could have been making money for this shit like but anyways so you know i was really excited about this and you know i tried not to let it throw me off my game but i'm like oh he's having a bad day i felt pressure like but thank you man so i really appreciate you saying that i I credit you with uh with with you know bringing me down and (laughs) and getting getting me uh getting me more comfortable you've made me comfortable oh i couldn't ask for anything more Really, you, thank you, 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 you brought me from discomfort to to from from uh, unease to, to to ease. I I will give credit to bringing it back into the body and talking about meditation and just it naturally calms. I think. Um, so yeah, the Vedic thing. Um, it was funny because TM and you said the Vedic. They're they're like hand in hand, and also mystic Christianity. Um which I know people hear Christianity and a lot of people repel, <laughs> understandably. But there is a mystic sect of that, like Father Thomas Keating, Thomas Merton. They have uh, a contemplative practice that is the same thing as well and dates back, not as far as Vedic, of course, but pre-TM. And I had been practicing that about 15 years ago. And then I'd done an I'd heard about TM and you know a lot of famous people do it. And I was kind of jaded at like, well, famous people are doing it. It's got to be bullshit. And then I did an interview with David Lynch and he changed my mind on it. Just, you know, talking with that man and feeling that. And he's like, let my foundation have you do um, the, the training. You'll get your pass. We'll pay for it. And I'm like, okay, because that's not cheap. Right. And uh, well, for some people, it's not. And it was a really awesome experience. But when I did it, I was like, oh, I'm doing the contemplative practice from this other tradition. But I thought that was really cool how, you know, you look at some of the core teachings of the mystic aspects of these traditions and they kind of do go hand in hand um so anyways i just wanted to share that analogy i thought that was really cool um and that's rad that you're doing it yeah i i, I yeah i love it so, so how much time do you have now sober oh um i don't count days anymore and here's why um what i realized one like you said it just gets harder and harder and i felt this pressure and it was shitty you know just an unadded un- or unnecessary added stress what I notice, though, is even though I am sober from drugs and alcohol, there are still times I go back into the same uh, behaviors, the obsessive compulsive actions, whether it's with food or watching TV. I'm much better at it, but I'm still completely acting out on the illness. You know, like sure. the, the drugs and alcohol are the symptoms like we have this obsessive compulsive disorder. So I'm probably nitpicking, but I'm like, am I really sober? You know, like, yes, I'm not I'm not under the influence of something, but you know, I'm, I'm in a way getting high on sugar or I'm, you know, um, just stepping out of myself. Even meditation I've used as a form of aversion. Like, you know, whereas I used to drink cause I didn't want to feel, I've caught myself meditating to get out of my body. And that's not really the point of meditation, you know? So, um, it's been a while. I know that, but yeah, I don't count anymore just cause for me, like I said, it was just, God, you know, I'm going to get five years again and then I'm going to fuck up again. And, and it is, it's very tough. Um, 
And I'm lucky, as you know, to have made it back so many times because, you know, I've lost countless friends to it. I'm sure you have too. anyone that enters those doors, you're going to you're going to lose people. Um, and I've lost a lot. So I'm grateful that I'm here. And that's what I, I do what I do today because, you know, I, that's what I feel compelled to do. So, yeah, man. But um, it's yeah, it's been a while and I'm just grateful that I'm here to to experience this day. So, um, man, we were on such a good riff too. And here we are. Um, Oh, I was going to ask you, um, kind of randomly, and this is off topic, but uh, you know, when I watched some of your, your, your insanity, I'm like, you know, how is he alive from that? You know, and and how am I alive? But, and this might, I don't mean to sound morbid, but maybe you'll have fun with this. How would you want to die? Is there a way like you would want to go out? I always said uh, on an airplane, an airplane crash. And the philosophy behind that was that at a certain point, you would know that the plane was going down mm. and and uh, you would you wouldn't have uh, so much time to dwell on it or, you know, like, but you would have enough time to deliberately think your last thought. And the adrenaline of uh, of all of it going down might like really seem to like override like you know just like the adrenaline like ah you know and uh, and then when it did crash it seems like it would be such an instant death you know and uh, uh, you know it would so but but then again I think that was like um, philosophically I think it's a you know, a pretty strong argument for a good way to die. I don't think anybody wants to die. No, right. Uh, I think, um, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever is just kind of painless and, you know, like doesn't involve suffering, I think is uh, a good aspiration, you know. Well, actually, you know what? How about this? And I could go on a real fucking tirade right here. I could really, I could really go on a tirade. I actually went on one with my girl. We were, what were we watching? Uh, we watched the series Don't Fuck with Cats. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, and what a fucking incredible show. Yeah. A three part yeah. series. Man, we didn't want, we would love animals. We didn't want to, uh, we, we we resisted watching it, but it was recommended enough and strongly recommended enough that we just, you know, we just they said just power through it. It's gonna be worth it. Yeah. So we did, and I think that might be the best three part mm-hmm. like series, any series. Yeah. That's the. Did you watch it? Oh, I did, and I I had to power through it too. I know a lot of people that couldn't, right. and I understand why. But incredible. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, it was good. And then at the end, <clears throat> when it ended, <clears throat> uh my girl said, I know the death penalty is, uh, you know, a weird thing, but like, there's some people that just shouldn't, should be, uh, shouldn't be around it. And this guy, she suggested that this guy should be executed. And I said, I said, no, no. Like, uh, and, 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 and the reason I bring this up is because actually it did occur to me the best way to die is lethal injection. Ah, Hundred percent, the most painless, the most easy, like, and uh, and and it's just to me like the. I'm going to give you my little tirade here about about 
the reason why the reason why uh, the death penalty is just offensively wrong is that there's a bunch of reasons, but the the main one is that to execute someone, you know, in the criminal justice system costs at least 10 times the amount of taxpayer money as it would cost to let them live into, you know, past the age of 100 and die of natural causes, feeding them and housing them the whole time. The reason for that is that by the time you actually execute someone, you you, you have to have exhausted the appeals process. And the appeals process for uh, execution goes all the way up through the the Supreme Court. So it is impossible to kill a prisoner, to execute a prisoner without generating so much in court costs that it's just 10 times more expensive to do so. It's just not, it's just not economically prudent Mm. to, to spend that much money over this like, uh, vengeful you know like uh you know and and then for that matter that when you do that like i had an experience when uh i was just about 20s i was on the cusp of my 27th birthday i was in mexico doing cocaine all night long and uh i was by myself just doing cocaine and uh, I'm watching tv until the sun came up in the morning on every channel that had english in Mexico, yeah. every every English speaking channel was like minute to minute coverage of the execution of the Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh, right. and now they gave him his uh, choice of a last meal. He 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 ate two tubs of mint chocolate chip ice cream, like uh, whatever, however big a tub is. He ate them both in their entirety, and that's neither here nor there, but. Okay, like the fact that I know that is what's <laughs> what's alarming. Okay, yeah. so then he goes into the death chamber, and and the death chamber has like three rooms surrounding it, right? The death chamber's in the middle, and each room has a one-way mirror glass, right, so that the people in you know can view the death chamber, but from the death chamber he can't view it. So there's one that's for uh, government officials. There's one for uh, like members of the media, and there's one for like uh, family members of victims. And um, you know it's the three. And the, the, he comes into the uh, death chamber. They described that he, that he walked in and he like squinted at each like one way mirror. You know like each window like like trying to look through and like that. You know like gave some like disrespectful scoff at the people behind it and like. They, you know, they asked him what his last words were. You know, he gets to say his last words, and yeah. he actually he actually wrote down his last words, and he handed the page over to to some government official who read them out loud. And it was just so offensive to me that this like taxpayer like dollars, you know, the, 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 the pay the government official was paying to read where it was like just. I am the master of my own domain, you know, like whatever, like it was just this like super arrogant, like unapologetic, no remorse, like just shitheaded last words that he had the government official read. And I'm watching it. It's 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 on every English speaking channel. It's minute to minute coverage. There's, there's crowds outside the jail. Ah, this guy was the most famous dude on the planet. Like at that time, 
And then this was his only bet. This guy was like, uh, either be a loser that nobody knows or like a loser that everybody, you know, like this guy elected, he chose infamy over obscurity. And in this infamy, we made him the most notorious character in the world that day. All the attention, he was loving it. Yeah. Just love, just give him exactly what he wanted. And then when it actually came time to execute the dude, like, he like, did I even think he blinked? (laughs) I don't even think he blinked. Like, he like, it was, you know, because the the actual lethal injection process, they give you uh, three drugs. The first one's an anesthesia, general anesthesia. So you're out before... And the next one's like a muscle, something or other. And then the, the, the third one stops your heart. But you don't even remember the, you know, this guy didn't yeah. even blink. You know, so in my mind, to be a, a family member of the victim, you know, to be in there and be like, I just want to watch this guy die, you know, to have that vengefulness, you know, yeah. which that resentment and that to be like so vindictive. I just want to see him like th- there's no. There's no vindication in that. There's not like it was just like to, I imagine to 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 seek vengeance, to go see this guy die. I would just imagine that would have been the worst to see oh, this yeah. guy. Where where in my view, like everybody knows about hospitals and where you know there's you see there's a big H you know a hospital this way you know they're marked. There is no sign indicating where the hospice is. But as I understand it, there are more people, there are more hospices. There are more people in hospices. A lot of people don't even know what the word hospice means. It's where yeah. people go because they're terminal and they're yeah. not going to get better. It's where you just go out to live out your last days and hopefully in some kind of comfort. Yeah. But in my estimation, I think that like uh, hospices are all over all over the country, all sure. over the world, filled with people who are genuinely suffering, like like truly agonizing pain and suffering, who would just be begging, begging, who probably are begging for a way out, you know, for, for just for, 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 for a merciful ending. But they're not allowed to get it. They're, yeah. they're, they're not allowed. Like, uh, it is illegal to euthanize humans. Right. And like all these people suffering, just they just they would they would just they'd be begging to have the the cakewalk, easy death that this fucking this terrorist, you know, yeah. Yeah. McVeigh, they would be, they would beg for the easy death that he got, the painless death, and and they would they like, but they're not allowed to have it, and yet we give it to the terrorist who killed all these women and children, hundreds of people. And we made him the most famous guy on the planet while he enjoyed this cakewalk of a death. And it cost us 10 times the amount of money. Wow. <laughs> I've, I'm glad we went down that road. <laughs> yeah, see, that's how I want to die. I want lethal injection. <laughs> all that to say. I'm re- At first, I was, I'm like, I shouldn't ask that, but now I'm glad I did. This fucking airplane crash theory. Fuck that. <laughs> fucking air crash. I'll think my last thought deliberately. <laughs> you know. Have you? I'll, think my last, I'll say my last words and then uh, uh, and I won't even blink. I'll just be like, it's like it's like going in for surgery without the pesky waking up sore. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Lethal injection. Well, man, thank you so much. I know we're we're right up at the hour <laughs> mark. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, I really appreciate it. Um, I know you're busy. For, the, for those uh, who aren't aware, um, I have my own podcast now. I just started, which is awesome. Yep. It's called it's called Wild Ride with Steve O. And um, yeah, man, I'm glad we I'm glad we got to do this. And again, thank you for. Uh, you know, you made my irritability go away, man. And I'm not normally like that. I'm really not like just where we were like shooting this thing. And I'm like, ah, like, ah fuck, I can do this. Ah, you know, well, and uh, it is what it is, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I did want to say quickly, um, I, I did want to to plug that podcast is awesome you've had we man you've had dr drew like a bunch of great shows what do you have like four or five episodes out now something like that yeah there's a number six drops tomorrow it's demi lovato oh yeah right. looking forward to that hawk was your yeah. first episode i think um, yeah. Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. um so just check out steve-o on youtube and the podcast anywhere podcasts can be found and lastly i know that you were doing the bucket list tour which COVID obviously has stopped everything yeah. in its tracks are you planning on picking that back up when we have some sure. of what we're doing? Whenever it's okay to do a show, I'm ready to put it on. Awesome. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. are. Steve-O, um, your website, steveo.com. I should have checked. I'm sorry, man. Is it- it's fine. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, steveo.com. I'm all right, easy. Cool. All right, man. All right. Thank all you right. for everything. Be well, sir. Of course. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.